0: Chapter 27 of The Boy Scouts Along the Susquehanna. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox.org. The Boy Scouts Along the Susquehanna by Herbert Carter. Chapter 27, Headed for Home, Conclusion. Just hold on there, George. You're under arrest. Bumpus called out, and if his voice happened to be a trifle shaky, The fact did not seem to interfere with the clever way in which he swung that gun up, so as to cover the tramp. Smithy awoke and was stunned at what he saw. He sat there, turning his head, to stare first at the figure clothed in the blue army coat and then at his comrade, seeing just topping the bushes and looking so like he meant business. Smithy would long remember that fine sight. The hobo knew he was caught. Guns had a very persuasive way with George, and he had learned long ago to fight shy of all farmhouses where it was known the owner-possessed firearms. "'Don't shoot, young feller,' he immediately bellowed with astonishing energy. "'I ain't going to try and get away. "'Say I was just a-wantin' to surrender so as to get off in this island. "'I ain't never yet starved to death, and I don't want to try the same. "'I'm a prisoner of war, and you wouldn't be so mean as to pepper a harmless man, I hopes, boy.' Bumpus proceeded to advance, all the while keeping that menacing gun leveled. He had had a previous experience in capturing a supposed-to-be desperate rascal and felt that he must be cautious in how he handled matters. Smithy, is there a piece of that rope handy, he demanded. And the other scout, after a hasty look around, made an affirmative reply. There certainly is, Bumpus, and it seems to be a good strong piece too, he went on to say. Please tell me what you want me to do with it. I know how to tie all sorts of perfectly splendid knots if only the wretch won't seize hold of me and make use of me as a shield. They're all so very treacherous, you know, Bumpus. Sure, I understand that, Smithy, he was told, but I'm up to a trick or two on my own hook. Here, you, George. Just drop down on your marrow bones. That means get on your knees. The tramp looked anything but happy, but when he hesitated, Bumpus swung his gun up again and it could be easily seen that he was ready for business. So George immediately dropped down on his knees, with his hands still raised in a really grotesque fashion above his head. Now, I don't mean to ask you to say your prayers, because I reckon you never learned any, Bumpus proceeded briskly, but continue the forward movement. In other words, fall flat on your face and stretch out there, with your nose rooting in the ground. No back talk now, but do what you're told. George did so, He evidently knew better than to refuse so modest a request, especially while threatened with a load of shot at close quarters. Then Bumpus advanced close up. Smithy, he said with a grand air, as became a conqueror, use your rope and tie his wrists behind his back. If there's enough left, give a turn around his ankles, will you please? And whatever you do, let it be thorough. That's what scouts are taught to always be, you know. Under the immediate eye of Bumpus the tramp was triced up, after which the two boys dragged him behind a screen of bushes. Bumpus was in constant apprehension lest the second hobo appear on the scene, and managed to keep his eyes turned this way and that as the minutes passed on. It seemed as though the morning must be wearing away when finally the barking of a fox, so excellently done that it would have deceived an old hunter, announced the near presence of Alan and Thad, and likely the others besides. When they entered the camp, they seemed to be laboring under some excitement, but Bumpus had warned Smithy not to give their secret away immediately. "'Well, what luck did you have, boys?' asked the stout lad, as one and then another of the six filed past him to the vicinity of the fire. "'We cornered one of the precious pair down at the extreme end of the island,' acknowledged Giraffe, but George gave us the slip somehow. "'We figured he must have hid in a hemlock top, and after we passed Come On Up Here,' And since we ran across this trail not far from camp, some of us began to get cold feet for fear that you two might have been surprised and taken prisoner. We're all as glad as hops to see that that was a false alarm, Bumpus and Smithy. But have you seen anything of George, asked Thad, who believed there was something decidedly odd about the way the features of the two guards were working, as though they might be doing everything in their power to conceal some secret. Of course, Bumpus had by that time reached the limit of his endurance, especially since Smithy gave a big yell, unable to hold in any further. "'Go and take a look back of the bushes there. That's the answer, boys,' Bumpus remarked, trying to look indifferent, though really trembling all over with joyful excitement. There was an immediate rush in the quarter pointed out, and then shouts that might have easily been heard at the lower end of the island. Well, "'What do you think of that now?' Giraffe was saying in his usual boisterous manner." If they haven't gone and done it, capturing the long-lost George as nice as you please. Yes, and there's that old engineer's army coat, too. Maybe the judge won't be glad to get that keepsake back again. Thad was especially well pleased. Of course, this was partly on account of having finally accomplished the task that had been set before him, because he always felt satisfied when he could look back to duty well done. Besides, he fairly gloried in the fact that the two tenderfeet of the patrol as they might still be called, had succeeded in covering themselves with honour in having captured the second desperate rascal. The first thing Thad did was to stand the tramp up, remove his bonds, and make him strip off the blue coat that had once kept the judge's son warm while serving Uncle Sam during our late war with Spain, after which he saw to it that George had his hands bound again. Two of the boys were dispatched along the shore, where the walking was better to bring back the other prisoner. To another pair was given the task of setting up a pole on an elevated part of the island, bearing a white flag, which, if seen by anyone on the distant shore, might be the means of bringing a boat to the rescue of the marooned ones. Meanwhile, Thad investigated, and found that apparently George had had no suspicion that there was anything sewed inside the red lining of the army coat given to him by Mrs. Whittaker. Feeling carefully along the sides, Thad discovered that at a certain place there seemed to be something nestled, when he held the garment close to his ear he was able to catch a slight rustling sound when he bent it back and forth so he concluded the paper must be safe there was enough of the bacon and other things left that happened to give them a scanty feed at noon and they had high hopes that before another night came the conditions would be vastly improved this confidence proved to be well founded for long about three o'clock giraffe who had set himself to be the lookout came running into camp with the cheering news that two boats were coming from the shore, and that the period of their captivity on the island had reached its end. It turned out that those rowing the boats were men who had been sent out by the authorities to look for any families in distress because of the flood in the Susquehanna region. There was ample room aboard for the eight scouts, as well as their two prisoners, and in due time they landed on the bank, overjoyed to know that not only were they free once more, but that their principal object in making this long hike had been handsomely accomplished. Giraffe and Bumpus shook hands solemnly when the fact was mentioned that they had been invited to stay over at a neighboring farmhouse, where they could obtain a bountiful supper and sleep in the barn. That meant supreme happiness to the lengthy and the stout members of the patrol, the fat and the lean of it, as Giraffe himself would say. Thad was careful to see that the two tramps were handed over to the authorities, All the evidence needed to convict them of the robbery of the Bailey home was discovered on their persons, for they had been tempted to take several little valuable bits of jewellery that fastened the crime on them when found in their pockets. He felt that they were well rid of the rascals when the two men were led away, nor did any of the scouts ever set eyes on wandering George or his companion again. Since all of the patrol were exceedingly tired, it can safely be assumed that they slept soundly on that night. The hay was sweet. They had been given a bountiful supper, such as only farmers' wives know how to spread before guests, and Bumpus had done himself proud when called upon to entertain their host's family with a number of favourite songs, as well as by the dexterous use of his bugle, upon which he dearly loved to play, and with considerable effect. When another day dawned the boys were given a breakfast they would not soon forget, nor would the kind lady accept a single cent in payment for the same declaring that she and her family had enjoyed having the scouts remain a night with them, and that they had learned a thousand things about their work such as they had long been wishing to know. The homeward march was begun, and as time was passing rapidly now, Dad thought it only right they should take advantage of the fact that a trolley covered a considerable number of miles between Cranford and the point they were at. None of them objected to this means of lightening their labors, for several among the scouts had complained that their feet were beginning to swell and pain them. By clever work they managed to arrive home that same evening, pleased with their last adventure. Its successful termination would long be a source of gratification to those who had participated in the chase after wandering George and the blue army coat that the judge wanted to keep in memory of his son. Thad could not wait for morning to come, but immediately after supper he took the coat, once more brushed clean, over his arm, and set out for the home of old Judge Whitaker. When he was ushered into the library, and the eminent jurist saw what he was carrying, he expressed himself pleased in no uncertain tones. As the good lady of the house happened to be out at a neighbor's just then, the judge did not hesitate to rip open the lining of the coat, and then triumphantly extract a thin paper which he seemed to prize exceedingly. He declared that he was under great obligations to the scouts and expressed an earnest desire to do something grand for the troop, but of course Thad was compelled to decline, assuring him they had enjoyed the little adventure greatly, and that at any rate the rules of their organization would prevent them from accepting any pay for such a service. Thad and his friends were looking forward to another outing in the woods during the coming summer, and expected to have a delightful time. None of them, however, so much as suspected what a strange turn of fortune would alter their plans, and allow some of the Scouts to visit foreign lands while the greatest war in the history of the whole world was breaking out. What Wonderful Things Happened to Them Abroad will be found recorded in the next volume of this series, published under the title of The Boy Scouts on the Rhine, or Under Fire with the Allies. End of The Boy Scouts Along the Susquehanna by Herbert Carter